Good evening, everybody. Tonight we're going to be in Romans 7, if you want to turn in your Bibles, Romans 7. Great chapter. Always a great chapter. I mean, of course, I don't think I've ever opened the Bible and said, no, this is a horrible chapter. We're wasting our time tonight, right? This is so good. Paul artfully is taking us step by step through the book of Romans, showing us, first of all, sin, our sin, their sin, um, and what we need to do and what he's done for us. And chapter 7 is just a fantastic chapter to show us the struggle every one of us is going through um, and struggles with. And, 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 he, and he's bold enough to share from his own life, this is what I've dealt with, this is how it came about. And um, honestly, that, that's what we're here to do on this earth is to witness. Um, witness is simply telling people what you've seen. No, no judge in the world wants to call up a witness and say, could you, could you teach us something about this event? You know, Could you explain to us the, the, the physics behind that car accident you witnessed? You know, No, just tell me what you saw. We don't want to know anything else. We don't want you to uh, take the position of the police officer, take the position of the lawyer, take the position of the EMT that was on site. I just want you to tell me what you saw, which is what we're called to do in Christ. As Christians, we're called to tell everybody around us what we've seen, what's happened. And Paul just does such a wonderful job of sharing that with us. So that when we read 7, obviously he's going to strike a nerve because every one of us has gone through this or is going through this. And he knows that. He knows that that's the struggle. What he describes in chapter 7 is the war between what God wants to do in our lives and what we do in our lives. And, uh, of course, chapter 8 unfortunately, it's, we're going to leave off with a cliffhanger. Eight is the answer, so we won't get to that till next week, but he takes us through this. In verse 1 of chapter 7, Or do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, those are, that's in parentheses, so in other words, I'm talking to the Jews now, those of you who know the law, receive the law, um, this is who I'm talking to, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. And then he gives an example. As long as you're alive, you're under the law. It's kind of hard to convict somebody who's dead, right? Um, you know, maybe a drunk driver hits a family and he dies in the process. Uh, it's hard to send him to jail. Obviously, you can't. The law has no power over him anymore because he's dead. He's gone. Um, he's still guilty if he were alive, but he's not. He's dead. And that's where Paul's taking us here. Don't you know that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives? For the woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. That's why we say at the end of every marriage ceremony, until death do us part, right? But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh... The sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by so that we should serve 
in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Things have changed, Paul says. Remember who Paul is. Paul is a Pharisee of Pharisees who's been delivered. And he's going to describe that deliverance. He's going to describe the struggle that went on within him and what brought him to Christ. The law has authority over us. The law has, you know, nothing you can do about it. You're driving down Market Street, sign says 25, I'm going 35. It's not the sign's fault. It's my fault. Nothing wrong with the sign. Nothing wrong with the rule. I'm the problem. And so I'm guilty. As soon as I see that sign, oh, now I know. And now I become guilty of what I'm doing. And that's what the law was intended to do. The law was intended to bring people to Christ, to the solution. Now what? Now that I'm guilty, now what? In John chapter 15, verse 4, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, Jesus goes through a very wonderful example for us. Uh, what do you call it? A not a practical application, but a, um, an object lesson, basically, using the, the vine dresser, using vines and things like that. They, everybody knew what that was. You know, my, my son asked on the way here, he's, he's five, going to be six, asked mom, hey, what's the lesson tonight? What's, what are you going to teach us tonight, mom? It's about the, the vine dresser. And he goes, the wine dresser? And we went back and forth 12 times because the air conditioning was blasting. He couldn't hear what we were saying. It's the vine dresser with the V. He goes, oh, oh, oh. And I knew he didn't get it. And he goes, what's a vine? Because we don't do that. None of us are in vineyards every day. I, I mean, I assume you're not. Maybe you are. Maybe you own a vineyard. I don't know. Um, but most of us don't understand this. But these folks would definitely understand it. Most of us have a little bit of background. We can kind of get the idea of what he's talking about here. But he's talking about being attached to the vine. As Christians, we're attached to the vine. The vine being Christ, and we're attached to it. And because we're attached to it, we bear fruit, is the idea. It's called abiding faith. It's called abiding in Christ. And when we abide in Christ, we bear fruit. Now, before Christ, we had the law, which is what Paul was talking about. The law was a set of rules and regulations that told you you're in big trouble. And a lot of people took the law and misunderstood it and used it as a prescription. This is how I get better. This is how I get acceptance. This is how I get healed. And it's not. The law was never a prescription. It was always a diagnosis. It's a big difference there. In my bag back here, I didn't bring it up here. I didn't think it was probably a good idea. But I have a diagnosis from a patient. I can get medical records, and I have to deal with these medical records. I go back and forth with... uh, SSM, and I get the records so that they can get the equipment and their insurance company will accept it. And I go through all these processes. I have a diagnosis back there of a terminal illness. It's a diagnosis, though. There's nothing wrong with it. It's an accurate diagnosis. It's a very true diagnosis. But in no way does that piece of paper, that diagnosis, rubbed all over the body, do anything for the problem. The law was meant as a diagnosis. God gave it to us to show us our terminal illness. You're in danger. Death awaits you. You're going to die. The next question that they should ask the doctor, and all of us would ask the doctor, once getting this information, would be like, is there any treatment? Is there anything I can do? Is it a lost cause? Or is there something I can, is there any pill I can take? And the answer from the doctor, our great physician, would be, of course, it's Jesus Christ. He's the solution to your problem. Jesus is the prescription. The law is simply a diagnosis. And so we change things. Now you are dead 
Paul says, to the law. The law has no power over you anymore. You were crucified with Christ is the idea. Remember Paul said that, you're crucified with Christ. When Christ died on the cross, he died for all of your sins. You are now crucified with Christ. Now you are alive. That's what baptism, last Sunday we had baptisms. You rise to new life in Christ. You come out of the water, a new creation, symbolically, you know. And now I just abide in Christ. It's a whole different relationship now. The law was how people used to try to get close to God, but you can't. It never could. It was only a diagnosis. You could never approach God. Even if you tried to keep the law perfectly, eventually you fail at it, which only proves the fact that you're terminal. I can't do anything about this. I mean, I could go 99 years without committing that sin, but once I do, I'm guilty of it. Now what? And as Christians, boy, we have to get this in our heads that the things, the relationship has changed. We don't come before God in our own righteousness, our own ability to keep that law. That doesn't make us more likable, more lovable. The more we keep it, the more he loves me. No, it's never been like that since Christ. In fact, Christ died on the cross for us while we were enemies of his because he so loved the world. And you can't improve upon that love. If he loved me then, when I didn't know who he was or wasn't even interested in him, but he still died on the cross for my sins, I can't make him love me more by obeying. I'm not saying that we should go out and live lives that are unholy or ungodly, but I'm telling you there is no way to live a godly, holy life under the law. You can only live a godly, holy life in Christ, abiding in the vine. See, now I'm attached. I'm attached to Christ, and by his Holy Spirit, Spoiler alert, that's what chapter 8's about next week. He, no longer I that live, but Christ live in me, he's able to do those things I could never do. Of course, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but that's the idea. There is fruit in Christ. There's fruit. The things I want to do, the things I've always wanted to do, that fruit, that righteousness, to be that, I want to be holy, I want to be good, I want to be a nice guy, I want to be a good husband, I want to be a good dad, I want to be a good friend, but I fail constantly. I'm always reminded of that failure. But in Christ, I'm actually able to fulfill those things. And that's what Galatians 5.22 is. Galatians 5.22 describes some of the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, and then the attributes are patience, kindness, long-suffering, you know, all these wonderful things that we'd like to just produce ourselves but can't. We can for a while, and then we get irritated and we blow it. But in Christ, we produce that fruit. That fruit just naturally grows off us. It's not a struggle ever struggle to be kind to somebody? I don't know if I can love them. I just don't know if I can love them. You probably can't. In fact, I know you can't. You can try all you want, but that's like a tree, you know. Oh, there's an apple. You know, it doesn't struggle. All of a sudden, it's just there. It just grows because it's attached to the roots. It's doing what it normally does. It's a very passive thing. You know, the tree just sits there. All of a sudden, there's apples. And that's what it's like walking with Christ. The righteousness of Christ comes out of our lives when we just stay naturally attached to that vine. Grapes appear, you know. They just happen. I never read that scripture, did I? (laughs) I told you to turn there and I'm like, I went off. I am the true vine. And my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that he may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. He goes on to describe that. You just got to abide. It's difficult. But if we don't get chapter 7 right in our own lives, we won't be able to help other people with their lives. You can't testify of something that you haven't experienced. You can't witness something to somebody else unless you've experienced yourself. If you're still trying to attain righteousness through obedience to the law to come closer to God, to make him love you more, that's what you're going to tell other people. And they will be just as frustrated with their walk in Christ as you are frustrated with your own walk in Christ. That idea of becoming righteous by following the law or being you know, closer to God because of the law produces a Pharisee attitude in your heart which people can see and they can smell, and you're very quick to find fault in others as opposed to finding fruit, which is what we're called to do. And so Paul tries to explain that. Here's what we need to do, guys. Here's the problem. You think you're alive, but you're not. You're dead. You're dead to the law. Now you live to Christ, and your, your fruit will show. It's by the Spirit, not the oldness of the letter. It's the newness of the Spirit. He's trying to teach them something. Verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. He does that a lot. Remember last week he did that twice? Should we sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. God forbid. Of course not. It's not what I'm saying. And so he does it again. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. There's nothing wrong with the law. Nothing wrong with the diagnosis. There's nothing wrong with the speed limit sign. All those things are absolutely accurate and perfect and good and very valuable. The problem is me, Paul says. I found I was covetous. That was the thing that got Paul. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He uh, he came close to God based on his obedience to Christ, or based on his obedience to the law. So that's how he got close to God was doing the law. And he says I kept it perfectly, better than anybody else in the world until I read this: Thou shalt not covet. See, Paul had the idea that because I haven't fulfilled that covetousness, I haven't fulfilled that super strong desire, whatever that is, that I haven't broken the law. I'm good. I may have a super strong desire for this, that, or the other thing, and I don't want to fill in the gaps because it can be anything that you have a super strong desire for that you covet. But because I haven't actually followed through on it, I'm good. And you're not. Because he said not, it's, not the, it's not the doing necessarily, it's, it's the actual thinking about it. It's that covetousness that's built in. It's happening on the inside. And Paul says, what do I do about that? I may have that strong desire for her, or that strong desire for him, or that strong desire for it. But I never did her, it, or him. But now you're saying this, the fact that I had that desire makes me guilty under the law? I can't approach God now. Exactly. You're terminal, Paul. And he says, that's how I knew it. I didn't know it until the law came. And the very thing that I stood upon, I am a perfect keeper of the law. That which I thought kept me alive, that's which was my standing before God, this law keeping, 
actually killed me. When I read, Thou shalt not covet, I realized, oh my goodness, I'm dead. I'm dead. It'd be one thing if it was a certain set of rules that I could keep. You ever find that frustrating at your job? Here's the rules. Here's what I want you to do. You're the new guy or you're the new girl. On the, and I just want you to do those things. Great. So if I do those things, I'll be good, right? Yep. You do those things, you'll be good. And all of a sudden things change. But you told me to do those things. I know. But that was yesterday. It's like a moving target. You know, well, how do I please you today? Or how do I keep my job today? Or how do I make everybody happy today? Well, you got to do this over here because Bob's in charge now. Okay, Bob. Supervisors, right? Well, so what if there was a great supervisor that says, I want you to keep all these things perfectly and we'll be good, but I can't. I can't keep these things. I can't do these things. I try not to covet, but I find my mind wandering and there I am, you know. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, when he's describing this situation, he says, I'm telling you, the law tells you that you're not supposed to commit adultery, but I say that if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. Now what are you going to do with it? Some people think the law is superior to the relationship with Christ, and I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's harder. It's, it's more pure. It is more, it's a stricter law, that law of love. Before we had a relationship with God that was a legal contract. Keep the law and I'll keep my part. You keep your part of the bargain, I'll keep my part. Sign up the dotted line, we're good. We got it. But then I broke my side. He says, okay, now let's change this relationship. It's no longer a business transaction. I'd like you to marry me. I'd like you to become my bride. It was a whole different deal then. Whole different deal. Now, when we spend that time together in the morning, we're having that intimacy that quiet moment that we have in the morning, it's not about you keeping a legal contract. It's not like me downloading information to you so that you can keep it. Now you keep it because you love me. It's a pure obedience as opposed to an obedience from a selfish motivation to get into heaven. Now you're going to heaven. I've given you heaven. You're going to live forever with me. I've taken care of all of your sins, every transgression that's ever taken place. I've wiped out at the cross. Now you're living with me. You're in heaven. You're in that place you've always strived to get to. You're intimate with me. You have that relationship with me. You have approached me. Now what are you going to do with these things that I like and don't like? Well, I'm here. You could live however you wanted to. You could do whatever you wanted to, but that wouldn't be pleasing to your husband. I want to please my husband because he loved me so much, because of what he's done for me, because of how much he sacrificed for me. And now you're actually loving and approaching your husband with the purest of hearts from love, not from selfish motivation. And that's what Paul's trying to take them to. I try to approach God, Paul says, by being a Pharisee of Pharisees, by being better than everybody else, by being able to point the finger at all the other wicked sinners out there that are worse than me, and that's what kept me going every day. And then he just crushed me. He killed me with the thou shalt not covet. That's my heart. I can't do anything about that. I can stop my hands. I can stop my feet. I can stop my mouth even. I can close my eyes. I can plug my ears. But how do I stop that? I can't. It slayed me, basically. Romans chapter 3, verse 20. We've already covered it, but I want to turn there as we go through this so we understand. 
where Paul's taken us. He says, therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. That's what teaches us about our sin. That's what shows it. That's what exposes us. Again, the diagnosis. Now turn to Galatians 2. When he wrote to the Galatians. Verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness came through the law, then Christ died in vain. If there was a way for us to actually keep all these rules and regulations, including thou shalt not covet, then Christ didn't need to die. He isn't the way, the truth, and the life. There's another way, the truth, and the life, by doing that. But that's why Christ came. And he's just trying to show them that, trying to teach them that. Um, now let's go on. Let's go on. But sin taking opportunity... By the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire, for apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it killed me. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin, through the commandment, might become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that's what I do. If then I do what I do not do, if I, I'm sorry, if then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For, if, for I know that in me, um, I'm sorry, for I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that's what I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. He says it several times, the same thing, trying to emphasize it. I have a desire in my heart to be pleasing to God, to walk with God, to do the right thing, to live this life the way I'm supposed to. That's what I really want to do, but I don't. But I don't do it. Paul lived that way. I, I desperately want to. And then, the, and then the things I don't want to do, and I know I'm not supposed to do them, all of a sudden I find myself doing those things. Here I am. And what he's trying to show them is that's your flesh. That's the battle. That's what kills you. That's what's making you feel guilty. That's what's bringing the shame is that, that old flesh of yours. There it is. You know what you're supposed to do. You know what's right. You know you're not supposed to be doing that, thinking that. And you know you're supposed to be doing this, that, or the other thing, but you're not. He says, everybody struggles with that. That's the war. That's the battle that goes on. That's going to happen till the day you die. That's the war. I don't want to sin, but here I go again. It's a frustrating place to be, and it should be. Anytime you try to please God by pleasing your flesh or trying to make your flesh, beat your flesh, and, and, and make it do, 
it's frustrating because you eventually fail. I'm going to have my quiet. This year's the year. This year's the year. I'm going to get up every single morning at 5 a.m. And I'm going to have my quiet time. I'm going to read 12 chapters every day. And then I'm going to pray for another four hours for all the enemies of my life. And then January 2nd takes place. And you're sawing logs and you've hit the snooze button 12 times. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm, but that's it. And it's frustrating unless you change your mindset on it completely, you completely try to not, I'm not coming to God based on my law keeping or, or my rules and regulations that I've imposed upon myself. I just enjoy my husband. I enjoy my savior. I love my friend. We just sang that song. He's called us to be friends. He's asked us to be friends. My friend, Jesus. And now it's not a struggle. And now it's not a battle. It's a relationship with Christ. It's not a, a legal way by which I can attain righteousness. I, I just love him, and he loves me, and I'm married to him, and I'm going to heaven, and that's assured. My salvation is resting upon what he did, not upon what I do. And now I can do all the things that I couldn't do before because I'm not doing it in my flesh. I'm doing it in the Spirit. The scribes and the Pharisees are the, the worst it's the most dangerous group of people. They're the religious folks. Those are some of the most frustrating people to deal with or try to minister to are those that are the Pharisees because they are dead set on coming to Christ and coming to God based on their own good deeds and their own obedience, and you can't talk to them. It's impossible to minister to them. It's impossible to be right in their eyes. There's always a downward glance, it feels like. You're always looking up at the Pharisee. And they're always looking down on you. And there's no way to even have fellowship because they're always examining who you are based on. It's a constant comparison. They're sizing you up. We had some people come over. Friends, new friends from a different city. And they came and visited and saw us and went into one of our bathrooms, used our restroom, which is fine. And they were so happy when they came out of our restroom. Because we had a plaque in there. We've got scripture all over, all over the place. I don't know that even I've read all of the things hanging on our walls. But they're just all over. And Jenny just loves doing that. And, and, and they came out. And, and I've always enjoyed, you know, this is Psalm 23. And it's sitting there. And, you know, you're washing your face. You're shaving. And you kind of glance down at stuff. It's, it's nice, you know. But they came out and they said, oh, I'm really blessed by all these things. They're like, yeah, we are too. We just love God's word. Because it's the right version. Well, thank good for that. You know, I don't know what we've done if there was an NIV scripture on the wall or is uh, <laughs> the King James version on the wall. So happy to hear that. And all of a sudden I was like, it just the fellowship was just in the spirit. The fellowship in the spirit was gone. That's all they wanted to talk about was the version. And it was so disappointing because you can't fellowship now in Christ by the Holy Spirit because now we're, we're, we're switching subjects. Now we're coming on Pharisee. We're coming on an attitude now of righteousness of our own eyes. We have the right version. You don't read the right version. Therefore, uh, difficult. They're the most in danger. If you turn to Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6,
Paul says to the Philippians, for we are the circumcision, we are the ones of the, of the Jews, we are the Jews, who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the, right, the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul takes all that out of the system right there. He says, you want to talk about who's going to look down on who? I look down on everybody if we're going from a Pharisee standpoint. I got you all beat, all of you. But that's not how we come, Paul says. Paul was broken, crushed, thank goodness, and tries to take everybody else with him so he understands, don't you understand, that way was never a prescription, always a diagnosis. And we misunderstand we live a life of frustration in Christ, forgiven, could be abiding, could be bearing fruit, could be having this wonderful, beautiful marriage. But instead we wake up every morning wondering, have I met my legal obligation to my spouse? Imagine how frustrating that would be for you if you're married, to look across and your wife or your husband is saying, have I done everything like I'm supposed to today, sir? Lord, commander, king, wouldn't hurt once in a while maybe, just kidding. But what a frustrating situation, you're like, no, I just, I just want to talk about your day, I just want to be intimate with you, I just want to fellowship with you, I just want to, I don't know, I, I want to go look at the sunrise together and enjoy it thoroughly, I don't want you to look at me and say, have I looked at it properly? Am I seeing the colors you're seeing? Do you see the orange? Because I see the orange, and there's some blue too. It's very, uh, very mathematical. No, it's just pretty. It's beautiful. Isn't it great? When people live a life with Christ, legally bound, and not enjoying the relationship that He's given us or offered us, anyway. And so Paul sharing his story here, says, I've been down that road. I've tried that, and I've been found blameless in all these areas, except for the law. I can't keep it, that covetousness. I have lots of desires that I can't control. There's lots of things that I don't follow through on, but I can't stop thinking about or feeling. And Paul understood for the first time at that moment when he read, Thou shalt not covet, that it is a diagnosis. And he needed a prescription, and that's when Christ shows up. That's when Jesus shows up. And that's the only time Jesus can show up in someone's life is when they realize they can't keep the law. When they realize they're broken it. Even if they keep it for 99 years, once they break it, they've broken it and they're guilty and they deserve the sentence that it is required. And so Paul's trying to take them there ahead of time. Don't go down that road. Been there. Dead end. Cul-de-sac. Turn around. Verse 21, I find then the law, I find then a law, that evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good, the one who wants to do good, there's this shadow, there's this split personality, there's this other voice that's evil. For I delight in the law of God according 
to the inward man. I, I certainly do. There's nothing wrong with thou shalt have no other gods before me. Love that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Yes, absolutely. Thou shalt not murder. You bet. I'm all for that. But then when God says you shall not covet, that means if you've ever had an earnest desire that someone not be around anymore, then you've broken that law. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You bet. That's a good thing. Don't want my wife doing that. I don't want to do that either. But then I read thou shalt not covet. That means if anybody's had a strong desire for another person, then they're guilty of breaking that law. It, It busted him. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He answers his own question there. A lot of us have come to that conclusion, verse 24, but maybe we've worded it a little differently. Oh, wretched man that I am, how? Will I deliver myself from this body of death? Is there another way? Is there another path, another philosophy, another choice, another option? Maybe I should meditate on crystals. Uh, Maybe I should do this, that, or the other thing. Maybe I can beat my body into submission. Maybe I need to sit in a sweat lodge. Maybe there's all sorts of things that we can try, but in the end, it's all dead. We're still the same person because that's impossible to fight. But Paul asks the right question, not how, but who. Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he answers it. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's the prescription. He's the antidote. He's the solution. He's our Savior. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Now, I know what I want to do, but I don't do it. I know what I don't want to do, but that's what I do. And even though in my mind I know what the right thing is to do, I find myself doing the wrong thing, and that's the battle. And that's where he leaves us tonight. It's a tough place to leave off. I'd love to go into chapter 8, but chapter 8, we need a lot more time for chapter 8 because with walking in the Spirit, every Christian needs to hear this. Every Pharisee in the church needs to hear this. It's by abiding in Christ and walking in the Spirit that you have the solution, that you're able to produce that fruit, that you're actually able to not commit adultery and have those lustful thoughts. You're actually able to have that holiness that God desires of you and you desire to have with a pure heart, without selfish motivation. It's got to come from the Holy Spirit. I know for a fact that I don't have the strength, the ability, power, or capacity to fulfill the law. I don't, and Paul realizes that, and everybody has to understand that. I don't have the strength, ability, power, or capacity. Suppose, and I'll leave it at this. Um, Suppose you're married to a man who's a wanderer. He commits adultery. It's just serial adulterer. But you don't know that at first, because the first time he commits adultery with you, he brings you a dozen roses to show how sorry he is. And that's great. And you believe it, and you thank him for it. It looks like a heart change has taken place. But then he shows up again, sorry and apologetic, with another dozen roses. And you're like, it means less and less every time he shows up with that dozen roses until pretty soon those dozen roses makes you get a sick feeling in the pit of your stomach and they're no longer a blessing. See, when people in the Old Testament were approaching God through the law, 
by offering up animal sacrifices every time they committed a sin which was required of them, it was meant to be an apology. It was meant to understand that they had done something wrong and that innocence had died. But after a while, they kept bringing these things, thinking, I got a couple cows out back that I could sacrifice. I may as well go out and sin this week. And so pretty soon they'd show up with these cows to sacrifice. It was nauseating to God to see these sacrifices show up every, every day. And he says, I don't desire the blood of bulls and goats. Maybe we can identify with that. I don't want roses. I want you to love me and not yourself. And that's where he wants to take us as Christians, not constantly apologizing, not constantly uh, approaching God through the sacrifices that we offer God, whatever those might be, solutions to our sin. Quit bringing me roses and start bringing me obedience. Love me. And here's the thing. You want to stop adultery in a marriage, they've got to love each other. And when they love each other, it naturally stops, not because they're afraid of getting caught, not because of the stigma, not because of whatever other reason there might be, but because I love that person and I don't want to hurt them. I don't want to go to heaven because I've kept some set of rules and regulations with God. I want to go to heaven because I love him and he's loved me so much. Thank you, God, for loving me. And I love you, and I don't want to bring you roses, and I don't want to bring you blood of bulls and goats like they used to have to do. I don't want that. Experience the love of Christ. Abide in Christ. Know, research, love, study, absorb how much Christ loves you despite your sin, including your sin, in the sense that he puts up with us, not justifying it. And you'll find yourself obeying. You'll find yourself becoming more holy. You'll find yourself becoming more obedient. That's the answer. That's the prescription. Let's pray. Oh, we love you. We thank you that you loved us first. And God, we don't bring roses. What we do bring to you tonight, God, is your word. We bring you. You said you loved us with an everlasting love. You said that you so loved the world that you died on the cross for our sins. You said that you wanted to make us your bride. Because you've said that, God, we respond tonight. We're not very good at being a spouse. We're not very good at being loving. We're not very good at being obedient. We're not very good at doing the things we're supposed to do that's pleasing to you. We're not very good at not doing the things that make you mad. But your love for us has never changed. It changes not. And I'm so thankful for that, God. And tonight, we just want to kind of soak in that, Lord. We want to think on that. We want to meditate on that. We want that to get from our head to our hearts. That you've loved us and love us with an everlasting love. That nothing can separate us from that love. And now, knowing that, experiencing that, Lord, help us to do better tomorrow. Not for heaven, but because we've got it. Not to get you, but because we have you, God. So bless these folks as they go, Lord. I pray each and every one of us would get this in our hearts tonight so that we can properly share the good news of Jesus Christ with those around us, so we can actually witness to them what we've witnessed in our own lives, your undying love for us, God, your sacrifice, your forgiveness, your grace, and your mercy just poured out upon us, God, and that we might do that for others as Lindsay prayed as she got done singing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.